Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. Let's call it the, oh, I don't know, the Governor's Cup routine day of the year. Uh, is, is that's, that may be a bit wordy. You know, and the, uh, the sun is shining here in Starville. It is a beautiful day. And I'm sure the sun is shining in Oxford today, too, except we, uh, in Starville, we get to see the reflection of the sun in the uh, Golden Egg as well as the Governor's Cup. So uh, so we'll take that. And uh, so we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about the game that was, talk about a great, great atmosphere at, at Pearl. It was great. It's a record crowd there, a facility record crowd, not just a Governor's Game record crowd, the largest crowd to ever witness a sporting event at Trustmark Park in Pearl. And uh, so tip of the cap to state and Ole Miss fans alike. It was pretty much a partisan Mississippi State crowd. I would say, you know, we're in the press box, so we're somewhat, you know, kind of uh, you know, removed from some of that. But I, I would say 60-40 Mississippi State, and then and late in the ballgame, 90-10 Mississippi State, which is what you want. You know, I mean, you want those uh, – yeah, that's the, the 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 descending fan. You kind of want them out of there so you can kind of enjoy its last few outs. But uh, but we'll get into some of that. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the NFL draft that's going to begin on Thursday. Uh, and so Mississippi State, obviously, a school of interest for many uh, NFL programs, NFL franchises. As we uh, kind of move into that, so a lot to discuss today. But uh, first and foremost, want to thank our our good friends at Campus Bookmart, Stan Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely and talented. Susie, that kind of runs a show down there. You you can go by meet all those fine folks. They'll hook you up with the latest in maroon and white fashions. Any Mississippi State memorabilia items for your home, your RV, your pet, your life, your office, whatever, they got it. And if you can't make it to town, we encourage you to go to campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, 
will give you a code. The phrase it pays, BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that'll get you free shipping on all orders over $50, and any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. So let's go ahead and get into it, guys. Uh, Mississippi State, a kind of a slow start last night, but uh, for some reason, I kind of expected that, and um, you know, even though that, that Ole Miss was throwing a midweek guy, they threw a left hand, left-hander, and uh, you know, to his credit, I really thought he, he pitched well, especially the first time through the order. Really had State guessing a little bit uh, as the game began. It took a little time and State got to him. But, uh, you know, I, I love baseball. I love Mississippi State baseball. But I love the game of baseball, and I love good baseball. I like to see teams play well at a high level. And, of course, in a game like this, you know, you kind of throw all that stuff out. You'd like to just you'd like to win going away so you can, you know, get them on out of the stadium and just kind of enjoy the ball game. But uh, Zach Phillips, I thought, did you know, pitched exceptionally well early on. And uh, what's interesting, Peyton Plumley, I thought, uh, had a really good outing to start the ball game. Really came out strong, I thought, and and had Ole Miss off off balance as well. Uh, when when you go back in, let, and let's let's kind of run through the first inning there uh, for for Plumley. You get a K looking uh, to Servidio. You get a ground out on a bunt from Olenek, and then Kessinger grounds out, and that, that Kessinger kid can play. You know, that's a uh, that's a, that, that's a name. That you should be familiar with, uh, Kessinger, certainly a good player. But uh, a one-two-three inning there, and then we get into the second inning there. You know, State's putting the ball in play, uh, but nothing to really show for it. And then what do you know? We hit Keenan with the pitch. We get a ground down to Dillard, and then uh, Zabowski grounds out, and then uh, we have a walk there, and then Graham flies out. So we kind of had some self-inflicted perdition there in that second inning, but Plumbly rather than fold, kind of pitches around it. Uh, and, and one of the things, when, when Peyton is at his best, he is pitching to contact and getting ground balls. And that's what you saw in that inning. Even though he had some issues, he's getting ground balls, getting under some barrels, kind of changing the trajectory of things. You know, uh, it's difficult to launch him when he's able to, that sinking action on his fastball. And he's a guy that kind of works that sinker. And so, it looks like a fastball, and so guys are swinging over the top trying to elevate that, and they're beating the ball in the ground. And even though they had a runner or two there in that inning, Plumlee didn't pitch bad. And uh, it, what, what that told me is that he had his good stuff last night, uh, and he's able to kind of pitch around that trouble. really felt like that, that the walk to Johnson, I think he kind of got a bum call there. But, uh, but be that as it may, you get out of that without any real trepidation. You get into the third inning, uh, and again, you know, State not doing much offensively. Uh, you know, you get to fly out from Cumbus and, you know, pop out from Marshall Gilbert. Mangum is hit by the pitch, and it took him a while to get down to first base. Kind of concerned me there for a minute, but he's a ball player. He knew he was going to work through it. And then Westberg strikes out looking. And one of the things that I talked to some people about yesterday, you know, it's one of those things that um, for all of us that follow baseball as closely as we do, Jordan Westberg this year, there just some seems to be that something in, in that his field of vision, uh, you know, on that inside fastball. And uh, it's one of those things, too, and, like, I talked to a guy that I really respect last night, you know, probably a guy that knows more about baseball than all of us combined. He said, you know, he said, you know, Steve, everybody's got a hole somewhere. Everybody does. And part of the development process as a college baseball player is you learn to kind of limit those holes. It's like once it's identified, because the game finds you. Once people find out where there's a hole in your swing or a hole in your vision, uh, they will begin to pound that. And so then you in turn make the adjustment. And while there still may be a hole there, you, you kind of make it a smaller one. And so, and people need to remember too, and I am I get guilty of this sometimes too. You know, you expect so much from Jordan Westberg because, you know, he's your, he's your shortstop. He's a two-hole hitter. The guy has not played a lot of college baseball. He's just a sophomore. And you look last year, you know, he, he D8'd some down the stretch. He and Foskey platooned some at third base. So, so he is, and this is his first full year as a regular starter. And when you look at what he's done this year, look at that average. I mean, it's like sometimes you look up and you think, is he really hitting that high? You know, but he is. And so Jordan Westbrook's best baseball is ahead of him. And uh, I really believe next year is going to be a breakout year for him. I, I, I really do. I think now that he's had a full year of this, he'll go have a good year in the Cape. And uh, But if you remember last year, Westberg hit his stride as we got into the final month of the regular season, and that and that's that's where we are now. You know, we're we're kind of closing in there, and uh, we don't we don't win in Omaha without Westy, and so uh, excited to see what he'll he'll do there. But uh, let's just be patient and be supportive because uh, the guy's got a lot of talent. 
So Ole Miss finally breaks through there in, in the bottom of the third. It was one of those things, too, you, just kind of a weird things that happened. Uh, so you get the strikeout, and then we have the shift on, and uh, probably should have made a play there. Uh, but he hits through the shift, and then uh, takes second on a wild pitch, which was real. Ryan Olnick strikes out looking, had a lot to say to the home plate umpire. And uh, I know it's a midweek game, but uh, the way that he kind of lingered on there, I was surprised that at least Bianco or somebody didn't come out and get him. Cause that's, and you don't want to see that. And that's one of the things that we saw last week at Mississippi State of Arkansas is uh, you start having that strike zone that you, that you kind of disagree with, and you kind of get out of character, and it gets you off your game. And I thought that was a big moment in the ball game because Olnick is their guy. You know, we, we talk a lot about Dillard, but you know, Ryan Olnick is kind of the heart and soul of that team. Good ball player for sure kind of get him out of things uh, I think that's big and then Kessinger again comes down doubles down the line and it, I don't know if you could argue that that play should have been made but it was one of those things that you know it, it took a great hit uh, a well-struck ball to get down there and get down the line and then uh, of course they they take the lead there on take it one nothing but uh, again Plumley didn't pitch bad in the inning just kind of had some tough luck there I mean if we make a play uh, against the video you know it's a one two three inning but that's the game of baseball. I mean, that that's what happens. When, when you give people extra outs, they're going to make you play, make you pay for it. Uh, so fourth inning, not much going on there. But, again, I thought Plumlee pitched it pretty well. Uh, you give up the leadoff single to Dillard, hitting against the shift, and good job of hitting by him. You know, we had the shift on, and he hits it just, uh, you know, just wide or short there. If you're playing straight up there, it's probably routine ground ball, uh, routine line drive. Either way, you're probably making out there. And Zabowski flies out. Johnson lines out, and then uh, Graham uh, out to first, out at first. So, again, Peyton making the pitches that he needs to. Yeah, you get the one hit, but uh, they don't, they're not able to capitalize on it. And so that pretty much does it for Plumlee. The, uh, the better part of that deal is that State finally figured some things out. State finally figured some things out offensively. Uh, and, again, here's the final line on Plumlee. Four innings, three hits, the one run, one walk, three strikeouts, two wild pitches. Got to get a little bit better with that. And the one hit by pitch. And so he pitched well, but yet there are some things he could do better. A couple of pitches he'd like to have back, and that's probably always the case. He did throw 60 pitches. And so his availability for the weekend is somewhat in question, but you got to feel like he could probably go out there and get you a couple of innings. I feel like that's probably the case. Don't know if that means he gets you first time through the order on a, on a Sunday game against George or not, but uh, he would be available. Keegan James, of course, just goes to one inning last night, so he'll be available for the weekend, just 14 pitches. Uh, Tristan Barlow pitches well in relief, uh, gets you uh, the win only through 19 pitches, so he, he'll be available this weekend. Colby White was outstanding, just 12 pitches, uh, gave up the one hit, but I thought he was outstanding, 94 miles an hour. Uh, at the belt, and then comes back with an 80-mile-an-hour changeup on the hands, and it's just almost unfair. And Lee Bolt comes in, gets hit a little bit, but, uh, you know, there was a little silliness in that ninth inning. Uh, but the bottom line is the Mississippi State bullpen with a nice bounce-back performance after what we saw over the weekend. So really big for their confidence. But let's uh, let's get back into that fourth inning because that's when things really began to change for Mississippi State. Rowdy Jordan, you know, hits the home run there, but uh, it was a great at-bat even prior to probably his fifth inning, uh, prior to uh, to the home run, because you just got a sense that uh, it was a two-two pitch that he hit out. But uh, Rowdy had kind of let him know that he wasn't going to be able to throw the fastball by him, and then Rowdy had adjusted enough that he was able to kind of fight off that breaking ball, and then he gets a pitch that he that he likes, and he absolutely hammers that ball to left center. And, I, and I'll tell you, the ballpark played big last night. There were a lot of well-struck balls that just kind of died out there you know, 10, 15 feet short of the warning track. But the one that Rowdy hit, you knew it was going off the bat. I'm in the press box. And as soon as he swung, I said, that's a home run. And uh, it really seemed like there was no doubt. And uh, so, But the momentum in that stadium changed. You never felt like State was in trouble, but it felt like Mississippi State fans were just waiting to explode, just waiting to have something to feel good about. And so you get the, uh, the tie run there. And it just seemed from there that Ole Miss was in a lot of trouble. Uh, State nearly gives it back in the bottom bottom half of the inning. Of course, Keegan James comes in. And a uh, really nice play where uh, Cockrell out at first, but uh, Keegan gets over. Very, very close play. But certainly an absolutely big, big first out. Uh, then you walk Servideo. That's the leadoff hitter. And the problem with a guy like him, 
Uh, prior to last night, he was 18 for 18 in stolen bases. Not just a guy that's fleet of foot, but you watch him, you can tell he's a student of the game. It's a guy that studies your pitchers. Uh, Steals second clean. And I, I really thought that Skelton had a shot there. Uh, just didn't get the call. So video gets in. And then uh, Olnick reaches on a throwing error. So now all of a sudden you've got uh, you got two runners on first and second. Kind of a tough luck play there. I felt like if they had reviewed that play, if they'd had some actual review, they got together and talked about it, which uh, was a waste of everybody's time. It's a waste of my time to talk about it now. It was a waste of our time to sit through it last night because without, without the benefit of review, there's no way they're going to return that call because <laughs> your guy at second, he's watching the runner at second. Your guy at third's watching third in case the guy from second takes off from third. It's unless the home plate umpire is going to overrule the call, the call, which is not going to happen. That's your call. It was a bang-bang play. He ruled that Tanner Allen was pulled off the bag, so they give an E5 uh, to Marshall Gilbert. But based on the in-camera the in in, in re- replay, it looked like it was close enough. We did we weren't able to see a clean view of his footwork, but uh, it seemed live that, that, that he got him. And I imagine if we had video replay, that, that likely would have been confirmed. But that could have been a huge momentum swing in the ballgame for Ole Miss. It wasn't because something really crazy happened. After Kessinger popped up the shortstop down the line, which was a huge out, first pitch swinging uh, by Kessinger. He had a couple of big, you know, big swings early in the ball game, but he pops up, and uh, we bring in Tristan Barlow, uh, and it's just one of those things that didn't make a lot of sense to me. So it's a lefty-lefty matchup, and Ole Miss elects with Keenan at the plate. They elect to run a double steal, and Dustin Skelton made one of the better throws he's made all year. It was really just a matter of, is Marshall Gilbert going to be able to hang on to the baseball? And that's not to be critical of Marshall. I'm not being critical. But the the throw was so great, and the pop time was next level, the only chance that Servideo had would be if Marshall Gilbert dropped the baseball. There was zero chance that base was going to be stolen without Mississippi State making an error on the play. As a former catcher and as a former coach, I do not understand what Mike Bianco was thinking there. A base hit there gives you gives you the lead. And I understand the momentum in a big ball game like that. But why do you steal third with a left-hand hitter at the plate? There was nothing to obstruct Dustin Skelton's view. There was nothing to interrupt his throw to third. There was nothing at all whatsoever to distract him from throwing an absolute strike to third. And I got a chance to visit with Skelton a little bit after uh, the ball game. And uh, he, I think he was surprised. You know, he, uh, you know, he's he's going to say the right things. He's talking to a reporter, but you just you could just kind of see the grin on his face. And uh, and I'll be honest with you, uh, this is my opinion of of the matter. There was almost some arrogance uh, in that play call to to try to run the double steal. You know, we'll call it arrogance. I'm sure Ole Miss fans are thinking that was just absolutely idiotic. And uh, I tend to agree with them. In a one-one ball game with two men on and one of your best hitters at the plate, why do you take the bat out of his hands? I don't care that the, that the guy was, you know, 18 for 18 or not. When when you have a left-handed hitter up and you take third, you better be able to get a running lead because there's absolutely no way with a catcher of Dustin Skelton's ability and skill behind the plate that you're going to be able to take third. And so it was almost like Ole Miss gave us the out. It was almost, I mean, Mike Bianco could have just come there and called him off the field. That's that's how bad the play call was. And, uh, you know, Marshall Gilbert makes the catch, and Marshall even had a chance to kind of steady himself. It was an unbelievable play, and uh, it was really kind of a boneheaded call. And I, I don't want to belabor the point too long, but that was, I thought, a huge moment in the ball game because it put State back in the dugout in a tie ball game after you had a little trepidation there because you had a walk and an error. And it's the same thing that we saw last weekend. You know, this and, – and sometimes Keegan James is a tough luck pitcher. I mean, that's just the reality of things. And sometimes he does it to himself. Sometimes he has some walks there. But I thought he I thought he threw strikes for the most part. But there we go. It's some self-inflicted errors and innings in, in, the, in the inning. And we put two guys on. They don't hit their way on. They don't earn their way on. We give them two base runners. But then we're able to erase that, thanks in large part, to a boneheaded call. I want to remind you guys, too, speaking of calls, make the right call when you're in Starkville by going to Bulldog Burger Company. Bulldog Burger Company, the place in Starkville uh, where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. But I'll tell you, there's so many great things to choose from there. You need to go by. It is the restaurant closest to campus in the Cotton District within walking distance of campus. 
and you might need that 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 walk back to campus to kind of uh you know stretch your legs a little bit and kind of digest that food there's so many great options to choose from i encourage you to go find your own favorites at bulldog burger company get tweets and messages all the time people said hey steve wouldn't try to Bulldog Burger Company for the first time absolutely love it you're gonna love it too your family's gonna love it it is without a doubt the robertson family restaurant of choice whenever we say hey let's go out to eat the very first option every time bulldog burger company let's go to bulldog burger and you don't just have to have a burger when you go you can have that you can have a salad you can have wings you can have uh the, the sweet chicken the sweet heat chicken sandwich a lot of great options to choose from. Keep up to date with the daily specials on the Bulldog Burger Instagram account. So getting into the sixth inning, this is when um, State began to pull away. It's one of those things, too, I, I wish you guys could have seen it on TV. It's uh, absolutely ridiculous. 8,638 people got to see the game live. Nobody got to see it on TV. Ridiculous. So, uh, so Mangum... Uh, flies out to start the inning. Westberg reaches on an error. He hit the ball hard. That's one thing that happens. You put the ball in play, good things happen. Hits it hard, and then Tanner Allen walks on four pitches. They elect to lift Phillips. And then McNamee singles down the right field line. Really thought that we had a chance to score there. Coach Cheese holds him at third. Now bases are loaded for, for Foscue. Foscue dumps one down the right field line, and off the bat, I'm thinking sack fly. And I'm thinking it's going to be a play at the plate. But somehow that ball found territory, found fair territory, and uh, gets loose a little bit down there. McNamee, if healthy, probably scores from first on the play. But uh, you guys may have seen that uh, Elijah had a uh, protective boot on yesterday, and he had it on in practice. And it's just one of those things, kind of banged up his foot over the weekend at Arkansas. He will be fine. We did start Brad Cumbus in his place defensively uh, last night, right field. And, uh, hey, that's... That's uh, it's it's a good luxury to have to have some other guys out there. But uh, be that as it may, McNamee will be fine. But uh, I think had he been healthy, probably scores on a play. They hold him at third. He does end up scoring uh, on the uh, Dustin Skelton sack fly a little bit later uh, to make it four to one. And at that point, it just simply felt like State had the game. It was just a matter of managing the game to the finish line. Uh, Hatcher comes in to hit for Cumbus, and that's going to kind of be the case. They're going to continue to work that righty-lefty matchup with the DH spot. And uh, it gets Hatcher into the lineup. It gets Cumbus some uh, you know, some, some at-bats. And, again, you know, Cumbus is a young guy that's going to continue to work hard, but uh, you know, that's going to be a, a work in progress. And everybody needs to understand that. So Ole Miss comes in to um, – in the bottom of six looking to answer. Uh, Keenan flies out to left field. Dillard strikes out swinging, and I thought State did a great job against Thomas Dillard. Other than that one time when he worked against the, the, uh, the you know, the shift there, uh, did a really good job kind of keeping him off balance. He is uh, he has faded fast in SEC play. Uh, Zabowski singles through the right side, and then you get Johnson to strike out swinging. Really just kind of felt like to get back in the dugout with the lead that the game was slipping away from Ole Miss into the hands of, of, uh, of the Bulldogs. And then we tack on more in the seventh. Marshall Gilbert uh, ripped a single to the left side, uh, really got on the shortstop really quick there, just couldn't react in time, and it, and it gets through. And then Mangum gets the hit, career hit, 348, pulls him within four of the record, now four hits behind Eddie Furnace. We've been saying it for three weeks now, but there is a really good chance that he breaks it this weekend. This needs four to tie and five to break it. But he hadn't had a multi-hit game in a while, <laughs> you know, so – uh, would like to see that get going. And, and Jake's a guy that usually elevates himself on big weekends, especially at home. But Jake uh, singles through there. Uh, Westberg reaches on the fielder's choice, drives in a run, Mangum out at second there, and now it's 5-1. to one. And then uh, Tanner Allen gets the big hit. I mean, just it's one of those things when when things are going right, things are going right, and he absolutely murdered that baseball back up the middle, nearly hit the pitcher. But he gets back through, and then, uh, you know, Mangum comes on around, and uh, it's next thing you know, it's 7-1. It's just uh, – oh, let me back up a second. This is, again, one of those plays we talk about. You would think baseball at this level – and we have we have been the victim of some of this too at Mississippi State, okay? So I'm, I'm not necessarily picking on Ole Miss. But Ole Miss gives Mississippi State a run here. So when Allen singles through, okay, Mangum scores, right? And then – I guess, yeah, Mangum scores. The throw comes home. It's way up the line and a little bit short of the plate. The catcher grabs it and then throws it into center field. 
which allowed Westberg to come in and score. But it was just one of those plays that you don't ordinarily see uh, in an SEC college baseball game. You just you just don't see that happen. And l- listen, he had no chance of getting the guy at second anyway. But he throws that ball in the outfield, and I kind of joked with a couple people in the media room. I said, you know, this will be one of those – if we were at Duty Noble, they'd be playing the circus music right now. But it just seemed then that Ole Miss was shook, and uh, State had kind of hit the decisive blows to put this game away. Uh, and they, 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 they make a change. They bring in a pitcher and would get out of the inning there. And, uh, you know, good job by Roth to come in to get McNamee to pop up and Foscue Kays and Rowdy Jordan Kays, and uh, they're out of the inning. And then we get into uh, their half, and it just seemed like when Colby White came in, and they are grooming him to be the closer. You can go ahead and expect Cole Gordon now to likely kind of work more in long relief, which I think is great. Uh, but Colby, I think, is kind of working his way into that one-to-two-inning type role to kind of close games out. He comes in in the seventh, and he gets a three-pitch K of Graham, and then he gets Cockrell on four pitches swinging, and then you you have the double to second base. And I want to talk about this for a little bit here, okay? There was a pop-up on the infield, and I'm going to be a little bit critical here, okay, because I think you expect that. Because it's the reality of things. It's not being negative. It's just the reality of things. A pop-up on the infield between uh, Justin Foscue, Jordan Westberg. And it was a towering pop-up, okay? And there are some people that want to make excuses and say, well, you know, when it gets above the, the grandstand, it's difficult to see. No, no. SEC baseball players make that play. It's a pop-up on the infield. They're giving you an out. And uh, Foscue, it drops. But my my bigger concern there, there's two problems. And number one, Foscue should never let it drop. But number two, I really want my shortstop to take charge there. I really want Westberg to step in and say, no, I got it, I got it, I got it. Even though it's a couple steps on the second base side of things. I don't want my shortstop watching the game. I want my shortstop kind of directing the game. And, uh, again, that's a, that's, that's a maturation deal. And uh, I love Jordan Westbrook. I think he's going to be an absolute star. But those type plays, while, while an error is not recorded there because nobody touched the ball, which is an embarrassment in and of itself, you have a pop-up on the infield that's a mile high and nobody even touches the baseball. So he is credited with a double there. And then White comes back and gets a ground out uh, to first. But Colby White did his part to get out in one, two, three. And so no error recorded there, but there should have been. You know, and it's one of those things I know uh, technically the official scoring is it's a, it's a hit, and you give that guy a double, which is an absolute joke, but that's officially that's that's the correct call. But my, my attitude's always been if there is a ball that's popped up and you settle under it, you're under it, and all you got to do is make the catch, and you don't, it's an error. So no matter what the official scoring is, the bottom line is you give Ole Miss a base runner in scoring position when you should have been out of the inning. Those are the things that concern me when I think about this team. And listen, we've had a great year. We we haven't had an elite year. We we we're on, we could. There's some things we got to clean up, but we can't be 42 games into the season dropping routine pop-ups in the infield. That's it. That kind of stuff's inexcusable. I don't care what the score is. What if it's a one-run ball game? You know, that's that that's the kind of stuff that kind of stays with you. So we get into the eighth inning there. State obviously, again, tacking on again. Uh, Ole Miss makes a pitching change. Skelton comes through with a leadoff single. Really hammered at baseball, too. Uh, I mean, there was just no doubt. I mean, comes up, hammers it, line drive in the, in the right field. Uh, Hatcher gets a fielder's choice. Skelton's out at second. And then uh, they balk him over to second. Gilbert walks. Mangum flies out to right. But guess what? Sack fly drives in Hatcher. And uh, the next thing you know, it's 8-1. to one. Westberg strikes out swinging. Uh, Lee Belt comes in to pitch for the eighth, and you get a K of Kessinger. Uh, Keenan gets a single. Dillard walks. And that, that was one of those things where it was kind of like a, just a go-fish deal. That's how it looked. It looked like we just weren't going to give him anything to hit there. And Zabowski grounds out uh, to first, and then uh, Johnson grounds out to short. And so it's 8-1 going to the ninth, and uh, I think everybody kind of was just ready to get the game over. And uh, – Next thing you know, uh, Ole Miss brings in kind of their white flag guy. But I felt like my focus kind of slipped a little bit uh, there in the ninth. You know, they bring in a guy, and he can't throw strikes. You know, he, uh, he's making his uh, 2019 season debut, bringing in uh, Holston. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he hits Tanner Allen on the first pitch. Uh, we, we bring in Hayden Jones to let him pinch hit for McNamee, and he walks him on four pitches. And you, you just kind of felt like, okay, I know we're ready to get this thing over, but – 
Uh, we don't want to be swinging at bad pitches. Foscue strikes out looking on three pitches. Rowdy Jordan pops up to the shortstop. Skelton grounds out to the shortstop. And listen, I know that it's 8-1, but we don't need to be taking bad at bats, especially when you've got, you know, a white flag pitcher out there. And then the ninth, the bottom of the ninth, we're just, I'm just so ready to get over there. You know what I'm saying? Let's just get this thing done. Uh, so you get a ground ball, and it's like one of those things that I've learned about baseball is it seems like when you get that first out in the ninth, if you don't get silly, things just kind of steamroll in a positive direction. So we get the first out, uh, you know, out at first, and then, then we walk a guy. Then we get a K, and then there is a, uh, a single to third base. I thought it was an E5. You had a ground ball over there, and uh, Marshall Gilbert picks it up and then stumbles to the ground. I would have given him an error. I, I think you can make a play there. Uh, and then Kessinger singles to second base. It was really a ground ball back up the middle at Westbrook. Made a great play on. Nearly had the guy at second to force it out there. But these balls are not leaving the infield. You know, it's, and it, it's like you go and you look and say, okay, well, uh, you know, Ole Miss had all these hits. And that's one thing that uh, the people look look back at all this. I mean, they had, you know, a couple of these singles came in the ninth inning when the game was already in hand. And so uh, I, I read this stuff online, and I think sometimes the people don't know a whole lot of what they're talking about. And it's like, oh, you know, we had eight hits in just the one run. And that's true. But when you scatter the hits, which is what happened to Ole Miss, they were not able to really bunch anything up, you know, together. And just taking a quick look back at that, you know, I mean, it's like you get, uh, you know, what, how many innings did Plumlee go before he gave up a hit? I guess the third inning, they finally get a hit. And so you get you get two hits in the third, uh, and you get a run, right? So there's two of your hits there. You get to the fourth, one hit. You get to the fifth, no hits. You get to the sixth, Mississippi State puts up two hits, gets three runs. Ole Miss with just the one hit. Uh, seventh inning, one hit. Eighth inning, one hit. And then in the ninth, you get a couple of meaningless hits there. And so it's difficult to beat anybody when you're getting one hit an inning. You know, it just it's it's very, very difficult. So unless they're giving you runners and giving you outs and giving you runs, you're not going to beat anybody just, you know, with that single solitary hit. I mean, there's a bunch of you, – you spread it out and you get a bunch of singles. Uh, and, you know, if you go back and look at, the, look at the box score, we talked about that drop pop-up on the infield. That's one of your hits. I mean, when you begin to kind of put all that together and you begin to realize that, you know, that there were two doubles in the ballgame by Ole Miss, and one of them was a pop-up on the infield that we dropped. And so what that tells me, it gives me a lot of hope for the series at Oxford, and it's always difficult to go play on the road in this conference. So there will be some Mississippi State fans there. So it won't be, you know, the typical – Road game. You know, we always have some fans there, but like we went to Arkansas this week, yeah, we were at, we're vastly outnumbered. And we'll be outnumbered at Oxford too, but there'll be some Bulldog fans there. There'll be some state fans find a way to get in that venue. And not to mention, it's the hometown deal. You know, it's the home state deal. But the way that Mississippi State attacked the Ole Miss lineup uh, gives me some hope for that series. Number one, Ole Miss is dreadful against left-handers, and and Barlow was was I thought really strong against them. But uh, Ethan Small against them on a Friday night, I, I like my chances there. And, of course, we're going to need Small to go seven, eight innings in that ball game, at a minimum six. Uh, but I like our chances. I think JT Ginn's back to form. But I think, you know, you can say what you want to. We'll say, well, you know, Miss didn't throw their front line pitching. And I don't know that Mississippi State did either, but we did throw some of our better relievers in the ball game. We did throw Lee Belt. We did throw Barlow. We did throw Colby White. And I think after this past weekend, those guys needed a palate cleanser uh, and, and that was a big one. And I think it helps to play a team like Ole Miss when you need a rebound. And what I mean by that is, and that's no disrespect to them, is they get your full attention. You know, if you had played, you know, Arkansas Pine Bluff last night, you, you could kind of go into the motions, and I think it would have showed. So I think you had to show up at the ballpark yesterday with some intensity. And uh, Foscue said in postgame, and listen, you can go watch his postgame interviews for free on Gene's page right now. You can go watch Chris Lamonis recap the game. You can watch Justin Foscue who was the game's MVP, and you can watch Tristan Barlow. And I think that's one of the first times we've actually had Barlow in an interview, and you can tell. But uh, go watch those videos, and you'll see. You can kind of – all that's for free. We'll make it all for free. It's on the front page of jeanspage.com right now. But we get to that ball game, and uh, it was just one of those things that I felt like, you know, having Ole Miss refocus the team. And so now you've got some confidence because you just beat an SEC team, and while they didn't throw their front-line pitching, you know, you faced their lineup. And, uh, and pitched it and defensed it pretty well. Uh, really, really thought State did a good job attacking the Ole Miss hitters. And so when you think about that going in, 
uh, into that series at, at Oxford here in a couple weekends. you got to feel like that State, you know, has a pretty good idea of how they want to pitch everybody. And while Ole Miss kind of got a, a peek at what we did, too, I, yeah, some of our bigger guys didn't have big ball games. Uh, and so they'll adjust to kind of how they were pitched. I mean, you kind of get an idea of how people want to pitch you after you face them once or twice. But, uh, you know, I think State's got a real good chance of going up there and winning that series. But the first things first, we had to go take care of the University of Georgia. We'll have a full preview of the Georgia series on, on Friday's show. But I think we all feel ten times better today than we did on Monday. And uh, I felt good about State winning the ball game Tuesday. I didn't expect it to be an 8-1 deal. I, I didn't think that State would piece it together as well as they did on the back end uh, and keep Ole Miss off the board. And listen, Ole Miss struggled to score runs over the weekend. Uh, I think Ole Miss is a good team. I do not think they're a great team. I think they've got some some pieces offensively that will hurt you in their ballpark especially. And I think the bigger ballpark you know, kind of you know, played in the Mississippi State's favor last night. Uh, it wasn't too big for Rowdy Jordan, but you understand my point. I think they're built for their park, and so as a result, you got to pitch it at a high level uh, when you go up there. But Ole Miss, you know, the same conference record as Mississippi State, but overall, State with a much better resume. But that's going to be a statement-type weekend when we get ready to go up there. But you better believe they're going to be ready to go. They're not going to uh, to take this lying down. They're going to face uh, Texas A&M this weekend, and uh, A&M will trot out three left-handers out there. And as much as Ole Miss struggles against left-handed pitching, uh, if A&M can mount any type of offense at all, that, that could be a very dramatic weekend for uh, Ole Miss Rebel Baseball this weekend uh, against A&M. Uh, I think A&M is kind of quietly flying under the radar a little bit in the SEC right now. You know, Nobody's really talking about them, but they can pitch it about as well as anybody. We're going to see some great pitching in Georgia, and again, we'll get into that on Friday. Uh, but I think this weekend is big for a lot of people, but it's big for if State can find a way to win that series and then, uh, you know, Ole Miss could see, uh, you know, could see some hosting opportunities slip away this weekend. And and I think right now if you had to make the call, I think State is safely in as a host and uh, Ole Miss is not. And I think, uh, you know, with a couple more series when State could play their way back into uh, a top eight national seed type situation. But the bottom line is just get us in. That's that, that's Let's just get in the tournament get a home regional, and then we'll go from there. We'll figure the rest of it out. Because I think uh, – I actually think State might be even tougher to beat in a super regional than they would be in a regional. It's because of the fact that uh, you only got to win the two games to win a super. And I really feel like if Ethan Small and JT Ginn are on their game that we can beat anybody in the country in two out of three. So uh, let's get into some NFL draft talk. And, again, Friday we'll get into more of uh, what to expect with Georgia. Georgia's got some big-time arms. they got some power arms. But they, one of the things about Georgia that's, that's different – it's the variety of pitching. You're not gonna. It's not just a two-pitch mix with those guys. They're gonna change you up. They're gonna throw breaking ball. They're gonna throw, they're gonna throw cutters. They're gonna throw everything. Uh, so you gotta be prepared for that. Let's get NFL draft. Uh, NFL draft begins tomorrow, and uh, as you guys know, they changed the format here a couple of years ago. We'll have just the first round uh, on uh, Thursday night, I guess that is, and then uh, you'll have a couple more rounds on uh, Friday, and then the rest of the draft on Saturday, and so. No, Mississippi State's not going to have anybody that I know of at the draft. Montez Sweat was invited, elected to stay home, and there's been a lot of discussion about uh, his heart condition. Now, what I have been told is that uh, this is something that has been, uh, it's not a new development, that he and his family have known about this for a long, extended period of time. We knew about it when he was in Mississippi State. They closely monitored it. He never had any problem, never had any cause for concern. And uh, I understand several NFL franchises have checked him out, and um, and they've cleared him as well. And so uh, I expect him to be a first-rounder. I think at this point he is probably the one guy that you can say, okay, definitely first-rounder. There's a lot. What's interesting is you're getting negative talk about Montez Sweat, but you're getting more positive talk about Jeff Simmons. I saw one draft expert said this morning that he thinks Jeff Simmons is one of the top five players in the draft, regardless of position where he kind of ranks on teams' boards is kind of a, you know, a mystery. And we'll find that out as we go. But, you know, Jonathan Abrams another guy. All three of those guys, there's discussions about them getting first-round grades. Don't know if they all go in the first round. But I think it's pretty safe to say that all three of those guys will be off the board no later than the second round. I, I, I would be shocked if any of them fell beyond that. So looking at the, uh, the uh, NFL on CBS, 
site. That's where I'm pulling this stuff from. CBS, of course, parent company, 247 Sports. Their ratings for your players. Montez Sweat currently listed as the eighth best available player in the draft. Eighth. The uh, the one defensive end above him is Nick Bosa and Josh Allen, I guess. Yeah, because Josh's systems guy. But uh, so Montez Sweat, the number eight rated player uh, in the draft. And so we'll drop a little bit more here to uh, to get to uh, Jeff Simmons listed as the 24th best available player in the draft. You have to get all the way down to in the to the 40s to find John Abram at number 43. So that that tells me what uh, these draft experts see him as a second rounder. And again, it only takes one, but there are a couple guys that are rated ahead of him. Uh, but again, so three guys from Mississippi State ranked as the best available. Uh, in the top 50. The next guy on the list, number 61 offensive lineman Elton Jenkins. Not a big surprise there. A lot of people expect him to be the first center taken in the draft. Center is not a value position, so it's not like a skill guy, you know, where you go get a difference maker uh, in the first round. More than likely a second or third round type pick. Eager to see where he ends up. Elton Jenkins kind of guy, if he says healthy, he'll stay in the league 10, 15 years. I mean, it's just one of those kind of guys that just Great tape, great work ethic, great athleticism. You know, really kind of a great Mississippi State success story. Just one of those guys that kind of has worked through some things and, uh, you know, built himself into uh, one of the top players at his position in an NFL draft. And that, that doesn't always happen. You know, there are a lot of people out there that work hard and have a dream but uh, just can't find a way to put it together on tape. And that, that's not what happened with Elton Jenkins. And this is a guy that's played all over the line for states, played guard, tackle, and center. So he has some real versatility there. But uh, if you recall, when State moved him to center for ball practice a couple of years ago, John Hevesy told us uh, that's where uh, his future lies, is uh, at center. And I, th- I was a little bit surprised by that because I thought with his mobility that he'd be a steal uh, at guard. Uh, but now listed as uh, the, the top player in, as a center in the draft. The next Mississippi State player on CBS's best available list, Jamal Peters, corner, comes in at number 225. Jamal Peters, one of those kind of guys that uh, a ton of potential, a lot of natural ability, uh, some good tape at times and some bad tape at times, and consistency has kind of always been the issue with Jamal, but he is one of those kind of guys too. Great straight line runner, great length, and I can see somebody taking a chance on him because uh, you know he's such a freakish athlete. And so I don't know where he goes in a draft, but I think, I'm very confident that he will be drafted. Uh, the next guy on this list, number 319, uh, Gary Green. And uh, Gary is one of those kind of guys, too, that will absolutely wow people in the interview. He is a guy that will be a great ambassador for a program. He's the kind of guy you put in your United Way commercials and all that kind of stuff. Uh, just one of those guys that uh, is a glue guy, will be a great locker room guy, will give you a great effort on the field. Somebody's going to take him as a linebacker or a stand-up DN in a 3-4 type scheme. He's he, He'll do well. Uh, the next guy on your list, 345. Nick Fitzgerald. You'll be interested to know, he, uh, for those of you that the uh, Egg Bowl Twitter folks, he actually ranks ahead of uh, Jordan Tayamu on this list, according to CBS. Uh, so, again, continuing to hear that Nick is getting some looks basically as an athlete. There's some people that like him as a quarterback, but he is so athletic and he is so long and he is a guy that's got a lot of versatility that if it doesn't work out at quarterback, that they can use him kind of as an H-back thing. And so I, I'm beginning to hear more and more comments about Somebody will take will will spend a uh, pick on him a little bit later in the draft, so look for that to happen. Uh, the next guy on your list, three fifty four, Mark McLaurin. Uh, Mark's a guy that uh, you know he coverage wise, I don't think he had the senior year he probably needed to have. He had a great junior year, put a lot of great things on film. I don't know that he built on that. I think he kind of stayed where he was, and so I think in some respects, some people will look at that and say, well, he he peaked early uh, in his career. But Mark is another one of those people. It's a hardworking guy that uh, will do well in the interviews, and I can see people uh, liking where he comes from. He's a very high-character guy, and that kind of stuff really matters to NFL front office people. When they're investing those kind of dollars in players, they're not going to go out and sign somebody that's going to embarrass them. And so Mark McLaurin, I believe, is much like Gary Green. It'll, it'll be about finding the right fit. I don't think there's going to be you know people trading up to get him, but I think somebody will take a chance on him. Number 399 on the list? Running back, Eris Williams. I think Eris Williams has the potential to be a very, very good running back in the NFL. I don't know that he is a starter, but I think I could see him as a guy that comes in as a second or third back at a place like Green Bay 
where he's a one-cut runner, a guy that uh, say very physical, bruising back. And I, and I think we all know it. I'm not going to belabor the point. Mississippi State underutilized Eris Williams last year. I blame Charles Huff for that. I really do. As much as I wanted to see Kylan Hill explode, I, th- I think we all agree running backs were, uh, were underutilized. And maybe Eris just didn't fit this scheme the way that he fit the Dan Mullen scheme. But when you've got a guy, the second returning leading rusher in a Southeastern Conference, you got to get that guy some carries. You, you, you have to get him some carries. Uh, but I think whether it's an undrafted free agent or a late-round pick, somebody is going to get Eris Williams and be happy they had him. And I think, too, I think he's a guy that are going with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. I think he feels somewhat disrespected uh, after, you know, what happened last year. The next guy on your list, 453, probably a bit of a surprise for folks, Corey Thomas, defensive lineman. Corey, a guy with great measurables. One of those kind of people, you see him walk in the door and you think, man, I, I want to check this guy out. I want to get a little more information for him. And, uh, you know, I, I, Corey's one of those kinds inconsistent at times, you know, when he had some suspension, some disciplinary issues, and those are the things that are kind of come up. But it's difficult to coach guys his size. You can't teach a guy to be, you know, six four and a half, six five with those long, rangy arms. And so I am confident he's going to go to camp with somebody, even if he doesn't get picked. I think Braxton Hoyette will as well. Uh, but Corey Thomas, very intriguing guy. We, we've loved him. Uh, as a player and uh, as a, an ambassador of Mississippi State, but there have there have been some inconsistency issues. Next guy on this list coming in at 483, offensive lineman Deion Calhoun. I'm surprised he is as low as he is because I've heard a lot of positive things about his interactions uh, with teams, and I understand that he represented himself very very well at pro day, interacting with uh, you know with coaches and and front office people and that sort of stuff, and so. There will be a lot of people, I think, that will look at him and say, okay, what do we get from him? This is an offensive guard. This is a guy that, number one, is very, very mature, a guy that uh, kept his nose clean and worked hard at Mississippi State, battled through some injuries and some adversity, uh, graded out exceptionally well, and a guy that got in there and was very durable at Mississippi State. And uh, and so in the, uh, I guess it's 500, Mississippi State, you know, get 10, 10 or so guys here uh, in the CBS Top 500, and that does not include uh, Braxton Hoyette, who I think has a real opportunity uh, to, to find uh, a home with somebody. I think he and Chris Rayford both uh, will, will wow people once they get on they get them on campus. I don't know that Chris Rayford is drafted, but uh, at, at Pro Day, a couple of those folks we talked to said, hey, that's the kind of guy that will stay in the league for six, seven, eight years just because he can run down there and cover a punt. And we, we know that from our own experiences watching Chris in action. And so uh, it'll be interesting this weekend. And by the time we get together on Friday, the first round will already be over. And so we'll have an idea of, uh, you know, if, if and, and when Mississippi State has, you know, one, two or three first rounders, you'll have no more than three, and I think no less than one. Uh, but it'll be interesting to kind of see how things, you know, project. Uh, after day one but it it will be a very memorable weekend for Mississippi State football and uh, there will be a lot of things this weekend I think that we can all look forward to and kind of be uh, somewhat hopeful and cheering about because it's going to be an NFL and a Mississippi State record and if a number of NFL draft selections this weekend and so that's kind of where we are with this Uh, I'm eager to see this Montez Sweat stuff there it's so much of it feels like smoke before the draft because the people that leak this kind of stuff you know who who benefits from seeing him drop in the draft what's the teams that don't have maybe a top 10 pick and so sometimes people leak that information but not because they dislike the guy but because they love the guy and they're hoping to be able to take him and if they float a rumor out there perhaps they don't have to trade up to get him and maybe he falls to them and so Nobody is going to put anything out there uh, that is not somewhat beneficial to their franchise. Nobody is going to leak information about a kid just to hurt a kid unless it values them. If you, you know what I'm saying? If, if they're if they're in a position to benefit, they might you know leak some smoke out there. And it's one of those things too that uh, it's a dirty business at times. It really is. It is a dirty, dirty business. But uh, it, uh, never forget that it is a business. And uh, it's interesting when you hear positive things out there. You see, hear people talk so glowingly about Jeff Simmons I saw a tweet yesterday I can't remember who sent it out said that uh, he had spoken to uh, several NFL people that had thoroughly investigated Jeff Simmons background and that they now long they longer have any reservations about him as a player 
Now, nobody's going to drop that out there uh, just for the fun of it. You know, that's one of those things, too. You're not going to put that. That's not misinformation there. There may be misinformation about Montez Sweat, but there's, you're not going to say, hey, we really love this kid. You should draft him before we do. It just doesn't happen that way. And so some of that, too, is also agency talk. I mean, that's this time of year, and there'll be some things, and, and you guys remember, uh, there's always going to be – there'll be some – there's one kid every single year that something pops up late. There's always something that pops up the day of the draft or the day before the draft, and then people are scurrying and trying to do their research. You know, with Leo Collins is a guy that uh, our family has known very, very well for many, many years. Uh, his older brother, David, played soccer with, with, with my son uh, in Baton Rouge and uh, have known Leo and, and his mother for years and uh, loved them. And uh, if you recall, there was uh, – you know, a rumor that came out about uh, about him and a potential uh, sexual assault deal, and it turned out to be nothing to it. But uh, he dropped from a first-round pick uh, to next to nothing. I think he was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was a UFA by the Dallas Cowboys, and uh, and uh, and and you know, and playing well. But it's unfortunate because I don't think you ever make that money up. I don't think you can ever get that up. But every year there is something that pops late. We all remember the Laramie Tunsil stuff and how wild and unfair all that was, and. Uh, but the reality of it is, is uh, this time next week, we're going to have some new NFL teams to cheer for. We'll have a, a much greater rooting interest in professional football. And so uh, that's something to watch. And my hope is that everybody that, that uh, has worked hard and done the things they need to do gets an opportunity uh, you know, to go to camp with somebody and then show what they can do. Those memories last a lifetime. And at the end of the day, we all get cut. At some point, we all get cut. For some of us, it was in high school. You know, For some of us, we... We weren't good enough to make the high school team, and then uh, from there, you know, maybe you didn't, you couldn't make it a community college or a Division One team, or whatever. But you need to play ball as long as you can, because you can only get a short time in life to play ball. That's one thing that I, I have taught all of my kids is that uh, sooner or later, you're going to be a wage earner and a taxpayer like everybody else. So play ball and chase your passions and all your pursuits as long as you can, because. Uh, at some point, you got to grow up and go get a real job. And, and uh, most of us are never going to be talented enough or have the work ethic strong enough to go be a professional uh, athlete. So be that as it may, we cheer for those that do. And uh, it's so much easier to cheer for people that can do the things that you can't because they amaze us all the time. And this group of Bulldog seniors done such a great job and, and uh, so many great memories that they have provided us here at Mississippi State. So we will be cheering for them this weekend as they find out their own pro football futures. Well, folks, it's going to do it for today. I want to remind you, if you hadn't done so, go order your Stark Villains gear at StarkVillains.com. I get messages regularly, people getting it. Thank you so much for doing that. Go get your StarkVillains.com t-shirt, Stark Villains t-shirt at StarkVillains.com, and uh, wear that out to Dirty Noble. You can get it in maroon and white, get it in black and white, whatever you want. Dealer's choice. Until next time, it's all live our lives, and a way we'll make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live.